You know, as we continue to look in 2 Timothy, we're in chapter 3 today. This was a good week for me because as I began to look at what Paul is telling Timothy, I began to realize some themes in here that as a former English teacher, I really enjoy seeing. You may know the name J.R.R. Tolkien. He was, one, a professor of English at Oxford University, but he was also a veteran of the First World War. In the First World War, Tolkien was sent to the Western Front. He was sent to the lines. He was sent to fight. He was there for a limited period of time because he contracted trench fever. Trench fever was a horrible disease that affected not just the body but the mind. He was sent back to England after the war. After the war, he began to write more and more stories. He had written before, but he began to write after. It was after the First World War, after he served, after he had this terrible trench fever, that he wrote The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. Most people have never read those books because they are very long. But many people have seen the movies. And as I began to look at what Paul was saying here, a lot of the themes that Tolkien used came right from his experience in the First World War, but also right here from 2 Timothy chapter 3. You see, J.R.R. Tolkien was not just a soldier, not just a professor at Oxford. He was a devout Christian. He believed in the Lord, and he saw in war, he saw in the return to his own country, what was going on in these chapters. So as we look through this, I want us to kind of pull from what Tolkien saw, because what he said is this. He said, the road goes ever on and on. In life, you have to be careful. In, in, in the book, The Lord of the Rings, Bilbo Baggins says to his nephew Frodo, he says, Frodo, it is a dangerous thing going out your door. You step onto the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. Now think about how true that is for our lives. You step out your door every day to go do mundane, everyday tasks. But if you're not careful, if you don't keep your wits about you, if you don't keep your feet under you, as the book says, you could be swept off into a lot of different things, a lot of different conversations and arguments, even to a lot of error that creeps into our lives through the exposure to the world. So there are three things I want us to see today, three things that Paul is telling Timothy, three things that also appear in this Lord of the Rings trilogy, this story that J.R.R. Tolkien weaves after his fighting in World War I and after what he saw in England when he came back. So the first thing I want you to see is this, difficult choices lay ahead of all of us. No matter how young or how old, difficult choices do lay ahead. In the story, Mr. Baggins has to answer the question, do I go or do I stay? Do I take up the challenge or do I just stay home and pretend the world is not in danger? You see, later on, he also encounters the question, how far is too far? How much can God ask of us before we say, Lord, you're asking too much. I am not going to go any further. I'm not going to do any more. 2 Timothy 3, 1. But know this, difficult times will come in the last days. And if you doubt that we're in the last days, you're not paying attention to the news. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Can I get an amen from anybody who has seen the way that kids treat their parents today? 
When I was a child, if I spoke to my mama the way I saw a kid talk to her mama the other day, you'd have been going to my funeral because my dad had rules. Now, my dad could take a lot of joshing and a lot of kidding, but the rule of the house was when mama speaks, everybody's silent and obey. Can I get an amen from anybody who grew up in those days? But today, children are most definitely not obedient to their parents, especially not to their mothers. It says that they are ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers without self-control, brutal without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. This last one is important for us. They are holding to a form of godless of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid these people. They are holding to a form of godliness, but they are denying its power. I want to get there in just a minute. That is such an important statement. You see, we know that in our society, something like 90% of Americans claim to believe in God. Stop and think. Look at America today. 90-some percent of people say they believe in God. But what does that belief look like? It looks like cultural Christianity. Especially here in the South, here in Texas, we are raised with a certain sort of cultural expectation. Church is something people talk about, but don't often go to. Politeness is sort of part of our culture, but it is fading quickly. To say, I believe in God and country is on every flag and every country song. It's on every bumper sticker of every truck. But is it really who we are as people? Do we really put our complete faith in God and country? In all of his books, Tolkien struggles with this. J.R.R. Tolkien was already a scholar he didn't want to go off to war, but there was a call from his government, a call from Her Majesty's government, and it was a call to go to war. He went. He saw terrible things. He saw horrible images of war and brutality and atrocity. If you've ever read the books, the, the images you see there are very graphic, but it's because he saw them firsthand in the trenches of the Western Front. He saw what men could do to each other. He saw how brutal men could be. And in coming home, he saw how war changes people. Much later, he is going to record these lines. How can a man pick up the strands of a shattered life when every day you become more and more aware that you can never go home? You've heard that phrase, right? You can never go home? Tolkien. He realized in coming back to England after the war that the country he knew was gone. It had changed. People's hearts had changed. People's minds had changed. I see that in our country. I see us changing because while we say with our lips, God and country, what we mean is self and self. Whatever's best for me, whatever's best for my family, whatever takes care of my own. That's what we are becoming. That's what it says right here in 2 Timothy. Lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy. Does that sound like anything you know? You see, we don't even use words like holy anymore because everybody has their own definition of holy. Well, guess what? There is a single 
definition of holy in the word of God, it is a complete obedience to Jesus Christ. That is what holiness is. It's not being a good person. It's not doing the good thing most of the time. It's an absolute obedience to God. But we have given that up. So difficult choices lay ahead. Do I conform to my culture or do I hold to my God who has called me to this lifestyle? See, now the power he talks about here in the end, they're holding to a form of godliness but denying its power. I often see people at school wearing crosses. They wear a cross, and I love to say, I hope you mean that. Sometimes they say, I do. And sometimes they just look at me because they don't understand that cross is a symbol, a symbol of a commitment. Just as a wedding ring is a symbol that you have given your life to one person and one person only, that cross is a symbol that you have given your eternity to one Savior, Jesus Christ. But for most people, it's just um, something that decorates their clothing. It's something that's pretty. It's something that's culturally acceptable here in the South. I see a lot of people wearing rosaries. I think, I think the, the older people in the Catholic Church would be horrified. Uh, a rosary is not a decoration for your neck. It's not a necklace. It's, a, it's an implement of worship. But we have lost that concept. We've lost that idea. So what are the difficult choices that we face every day? Do I do what's best for me or do I do what's best for the cross? Do I make the choice that is easiest for me or do I make the hard choice? In the book, Frodo Baggins loves his life in the country. In the country, there is peace. In the country, there is quiet. In the country, he just moves through life unassaulted by the things that are happening in the world. Tolkien was at peace as a scholar. He could ignore the world, ignore the war in Europe, ignore all that was happening. But the thing is, it was happening. Men were dying. People were experiencing the horror of war. But he was holed up in his ivory tower of study, and there he was safe. But when he finally had to go, it changed his impression of the world. When we fully commit to Jesus Christ, it will change us. It will change the way we speak, the way we act, the way we interact with each other, the way we help each other to get stronger, to grow closer. We challenge each other to be more committed. The second thing I want you to see is this. Yes, difficult choices lay ahead. But two, difficult people lay ahead. Now, can I get an amen? Because you know where I'm going to go with this. Difficult people are ahead of us in our lives. In the story, in the book, there are these things called the Nazgul. They are giant demonic figures that are bent on evil. They are bent on stopping Frodo from doing his job of destroying the one ring. They have a, he has a job. Carry this ring to the mountain, throw it in, destroy it. They want to stop him. There are people who want to stop you from following Jesus Christ. They will distract you. They will dissuade you. Oh, you don't really have to do this. You don't have to go to church on Sunday. You don't have to read your Bible. All you have to do is be a good person. Oh, what's a good person? Anything you want to define it as. You can be a good person just by not hurting anybody. But is that God's standard for us? Is that what God calls us to be? In the book, there are these things that ride horses and they ride um, elephants very much reminiscent of uh, Hannibal crossing the Alps on elephants. You know, you go back and look at that picture. Elephants were huge. They were great war machines. And I can see 
J.R.R. Tolkien in the trenches of France in World War I, watching these newly invented demonic apparitions called tanks rolling over people, rolling over the trenches. They were a terror. And he saw them, and he turned them into these Haradim, these, these riders of elephants. But there's also these corsairs, these pirates, these people who are out there to rob and to steal and to take from you anything that you had. That was the world in which J.R.R. Tolkien created this whole story. But think about our world. Do we not have people who try to steal our joy? Do we not have people who try to dissuade us, who try to roll over us like elephants? Do we not have people who are trying physically to keep us out of church, out of the Bible, out of the Christian life? Look at what he says right here, 2 Timothy 3, 6. For among them are those who would worm their way into households and capture idle women, burdened down with sins, led along by a variety of passions, always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Here it is. Satan wants you not to learn the lessons of the Bible, not to learn what it means. A lot of people read through the words of the Bible and they go, wow, that was inspiring. Ask them what it means and they don't know. They don't know what they just read because they don't take the time to ask the question, what does Paul mean? Keep going. They're never able to come to a knowledge. Just as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so these are also resisting the truth. Men who are corrupt in mind, worthless in regard to the faith, but they will not make further progress, for their lack of understanding will be clear to all, and theirs was also. Their, their, their faith was useless. Now, Janus and Jambres only appear here only appear in this passage, but we know who they are. Exodus 7, Exodus 7, 8 through 13. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. Now remember, the serpent was the symbol of the devil, the deceiver, but it was also the symbol of all that was evil and an enemy in the world. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as Yahweh commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Aha! Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, Janus and Jambres, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. They found that the Egyptians had an a, a elixir, an oil, that they would rub on these snakes, and they would rub them and calm them, and they would become stiff like a board. These serpents would stiffen up. That's the best of my understanding of what I've read. So they would stiffen up hard. So you could hold it as if it were a stick or a staff. And when you threw it down, the shock would wake the snake up, and it would turn back into a snake. It would appear to be a stick, but it wasn't. But this was not a stick made of a serpent. This was a wooden staff given to Aaron by God, which would literally become a snake. So they tried to fake it. They tried to imitate the miracles of God. And we know that today there are lots of people out there who call themselves by many names, and they try to imitate the power of God. They try to become motivational speakers. They try to excite people with different ideas, different theories, different activities. Oh, hey, you can do this. You can be an overcomer. Stand up, raise your hands, shout, I can do it. I can do it. And they do it all through the power of the human spirit, 
That way God's not necessary. Yeah, I see you've been to that church. You know what I'm talking about. Okay, not that they're down the street or anything, but there we go. Anyways, so here we are. They did this, and it says this. For each man cast his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as Yahweh had said. And that's just it. When we see false activities, false miracles in the world, people are swayed and we are not. When we expose it, people still don't want to see the truth. They still don't want to believe. People have been confronted by the gospel for centuries. Look at what's happening in the world. Look at what's happening in Antarctica, bleeding ice. Look what's happening as the seabeds are dying around the world. I talked to a professor at U of H. And, and she actually said it. She said, it is true. The seabeds, the oceans are dying. And as they die, we have less oxygen. As we have less oxygen, we have less food. As we have less food, starvation is going to come on the world. Think about it. Look at the four horsemen. It's war. Why are people at war? Because they're starving. Why are they starving? Because the plants are dying. The oceans are dying. A quarter of the world's population, two billion people are going to die in those days. You think three million are bad? Two billion people will die in that day. One quarter of the ocean will die. There will be no more lobsters, no more seafood, no more crabs. It, they're all dying along the coast of America and Europe. Those terrible days are coming, and we've been told about it. But we have to pay attention. Janice and Jambres are out there in the media today telling us that we can solve our own problems, that we can fix our own problems, we can fix the world, we can do it ourselves because we're man. That is the worst kind of abomination. And they are out there confronting us, lying to us, assaulting us. Oh, Christians are fools. Oh, Christians don't understand the real world. Oh, Christians don't believe in science. We do believe in science. We invented science. Some of the greatest scientists in history have been Christians. Isaac Newton. Boom. Blaise Pascal, the mathematician. Great people who understood science and math also understood that the word of God is true. But they're going to fight it. They're going to fight it. It says that they, will, that they will succumb to their various passions. What are they talking about? Pride, vanity, the love of novelty, susceptibility to flattery. People love being told that they're powerful. People love being told that they can do it themselves, that they don't need God, that they can be the best version of themselves. If I hear that one more time, I swear I'm going to scream. Every time I turn around, somebody says, come on, be the best version of you. No, no. I don't want to be the best version of me. The best version of me is still pretty bad. I want to be what God meant for me to be that I could only be through Jesus Christ. That's the best version that I could hope for is to be what he wants me to be. He wants to make me our. Janice and Jambres are in your lives. Let me ask you a question. Who are the people who oppose your testimony? Who fights your story of salvation? Who wants to fight you about your faith in Jesus Christ? You've got a Janus and a Jambres in your life. Who are they? Name them. Be honest. It says here, avoid those people. Sometimes you can't avoid your own family. But I'll tell you something. When I get around my family who are atheists, agnostics, people who believe that we evolved from monkeys, I am aware of what they think, and I am careful around them. Because I know that what is in their head is not sound thinking. It's not right. I have family who are into Scientology. 
If you watch anything on the news, anything on shows, you know what Scientology is. It's the belief that we're all gods and we float through the universe. And then, and floating through the universe, we settle to the earth and we, we, our little godness goes into a body and we become people. And then we have injuries and wounded spirits and bad things happen and we forget we're God. I mean, come on, people. Seriously? We forget we're God? Did Jesus ever forget he was God? No. But here's the thing. These people oppose the truth of Jesus Christ. Everybody fights Christianity. Nobody fights anything else. Nobody else in this country would ever speak trash about Judaism, Islam, Hinduism. They wouldn't speak about any ism in the world except Christianity because it is the one thing they have to fight at all costs. They cannot let Jesus Christ be real because if he's real, everything that they hold dear is gone. The last thing I want you to see is this. Difficult choices ahead? Yeah. The most difficult? Follow Jesus Christ. Second one, there are difficult people ahead of you every day. Fortunately, we don't fight nine, we don't fight, you know, nine foot tall demons and we don't fight guys on elephants and we don't fight pirates. But the last thing I want you to see is this. Difficult struggles lay ahead also. Know this. If you've ever read the book, The Lord of the Rings, the longer that Frodo holds the ring, the more tired he becomes, the more worn out he becomes, the more exhausted he becomes. He finishes the battle. He destroys the ring. He does his job, but it takes a toll on him. And when he goes home to the Shire, he can't stay because it's not home anymore. When Tolkien came home, England was a wreck. It was a wreck of what it had been before the war. And he saw the devastation. And he felt like he couldn't go home. That's why he puts the final lines in the book. How do you pick up the threads of an old life when you've begun to realize you can't go home? If you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you can't go back to what you were. You can't go back to the friends. You can't go back to the activities. You can't, back to, you can't go back to being what you were. Because you have been made into something new. The old man is dead. The new man has been born. That's what the Bible tells us again and again. 2 Timothy 3.10 But you have followed my teaching, conduct, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, yet Yahweh rescued me from them all. Underline that. No matter what you are facing, no matter who you are facing, God will rescue you. Yahweh does not abandon his people. No matter how hard the road gets, he will not abandon you. He will not. In fact, all those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If people are on your case, consider that a good thing. It means you're doing the right thing. Evil people and impostors will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know that those who taught you, and you know that from the childhood you have known the sacred scriptures, which were able to give you wisdom and salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. For him, the scriptures were the Old Testament. Timothy was raised by a mother and a grandmother who would read to him from the Old Testament, Read to him from the Psalms. Read to him from the Torah, from the law. 
They taught him everything he needed to stay faithful to God. And then Jesus Christ became the crown on top of everything. So this says, continue in what you have learned. I always find Christians going to the religion section in bookstores, and it confuses me. Why, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, are you looking to other nonsense, looking to other false gods, false religions, false ways of doing things? Oh, I'm just trying to expand my view. No, you're not. You're contaminating what you know. If you know the truth and you stick to the truth and we hold our children to the truth and our grandchildren to the truth and we only speak what the Bible speaks, we will always be safe. But if we depart from that and get into any other type of conversation, we are going to become confused. Continue in what you've learned and firmly believe. You know those who taught you. You know your mother, your grandmother taught you and they taught you what was right. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. If you know the word of God, there's nothing you can't face. If you know the word of God thoroughly, completely, end to end, there is nothing you can't deal with. When someone speaks a lie to you and all your life you have read the truth, the lie will stand out and you will know it's a lie. But see, if you don't know the scriptures, and someone says, well, the Bible indicates, wait a minute, the Bible what? Indicates? How about the Bible says? Where does it say that in the Bible? I always ask people, well, now, where, where did you get that in the Bible? Oh, I didn't get it from the Bible. It was actually in an old hymn. Hymns are wonderful, but hymns are not scripture. Scripture is scripture. It says all scripture, meaning the Old Testament and the New Testament, are God-breathed. They come from the very essence of who Yahweh is. You depart from that. Yeah, I, I love the Gaithers as much as anybody, but the Gaithers' songs are not scripture. They might be based on scripture, but they're not scripture. I'm not going to study them to know how I should live my life. I like the Oak Ridge Boys. There he is. I confessed it. But their songs are not scripture. Amen? Scripture is scripture. Scripture is where you go for truth. If someone says, how do I, how do I know this is true? Where am I going to go? To a book on psychology? To a book on pop theory? I'm going to go right to the Bible, and I'm going to look it up verse 4, verse 4, verse. I, I, I'm terrible at memorizing scripture. I'm terrible at it. And so what do I do? I have a little book, and every time I find something really good, I write it in the little book. And I'll go back and look at my book day after day after week after month after year. And it reminds me where in the Bible it is I find these things. Your, your Bible has little indicators, little, little, little letters that tell you where other passages are that agree with that, that, that help you understand it better. I told you a good study Bible is a good friend. It will help you connect the Old Testament to the New Testament to everything about it. So you look at what he says here, what Paul says to Timothy, and then consider this. Based on this, there was a, there was a guy named Rabbi Solomon. Rab, not Solomon the king, but Rabbi Solomon. He said this, when a boy begins to talk, people pay attention, because boys start talking. When a boy begins to talk, his father ought to converse with him in the sacred language, meaning Hebrew, and to teach him the law. Why? That's the foundation of our relationship with God. 
Go to Hebrew. Why? Because the scriptures at that time were in Hebrew. Okay? It wasn't until 300 that they put it in Greek. So that, that was the librarian in Alexandria had them translate it into Greek so that the Greeks would have it. By the way, that's how you know the Bible hasn't changed. 300 B.C., there's the Bible in Hebrew and in Greek. If you doubted one, you could look at the other. Just a little historical note for those of you who care. Anyways, he says, begin to speak with him in the sacred language and teach him the law. If you do not, he seems to bury his own son. If you don't, teach them the truth. The second they begin to speak, the second their mouth begins to work, you have to teach them the law of God. Why? Because then it is ingrained in them from the very start. When a boy begins to speak, his father should teach him Hebrew and then teach him the things of God so they will be ingrained in his brain. Remember, Paul had memorized the entire first five books of the Old Testament by the time he graduated from the school of Solomon, from the school of Gamaliel. He memorized them word for word. That's how important it was so that he could never be deceived by anyone or anything. Deuteronomy 11 says this, Deuteronomy 11, 18 through 21. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, because that is the strength of the body. You shall bind them on the front list between your eyes, meaning that's what you see. You see the truth so that when you see a lie, you know it's a lie. He says this, you shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house. Do we, do we talk about the word of God at home? Do we, do we get into it and, and talk about it and understand it and, and wrestle with it? It says this, you, sh you, shall do, you shall talk about them when you are walking by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on the gates of your house and that the days of, that the days and that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that Yahweh swore to your fathers to give you as long as the heavens are above the earth. If you go to a Jewish home, stop at the front door. Look to the right. There will be a small brass plaque. It's called a mezuzah. It's a small glass cylinder held in a brass holder, attached to the wall, attached right to the door of the, of, the, of the house. Inside is Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Boom, Deuteronomy 6, right there at the door. If you've ever seen the movie Ben-Hur, you know, he walks up to the, to the front of his house. He'll kiss the wall right there. That's a mezuzah. He's kissing the word of God to welcome him home. And he'll kiss it as he departs to show his love and reverence for it. You see, they had physical things to remind them every day that God's word goes with you. It's your protection. It's your shield. It's your sword. It's everything you need. In this world today, most people are biblically illiterate. And that includes like 75% of people in churches. 75% of people in churches never open the word of God until they get to church. That's just the truth of it. That's how the world really is. They never crack it open. They never look at it or study it or wonder about it. I am blessed in that part of my job is to sit down and open the word of God and look at it and study it and go through it. I am blessed to be able to do that. It, it inserts itself into my life. I might be five days a week working at the University of Houston, but my heart is always on Sundays 
because that's when I get to do the only thing that matters, and that's to proclaim his word. Difficult struggles lay ahead. The only thing that's going to get us through it is the scriptures. We are only at the birth pains, my friends. What we see in the world right now, all these funeral fires, all these people dying, all this stuff going on, the ice shelf melting, the, the crustacean beds dying, uh, disease beginning to spread throughout the world. It's more than just corona. War, devastation, and hatred are growing exponentially. These are the last days. What are you doing to be ready for it? What are you doing to prepare yourself, your children, your grandchildren, your friends, your relatives? Do they know what you know? I annoy mine to no end, but that's because I'm annoying, and it's okay. That's how God made me. I would rather be annoying and have everybody I know know what's happening. And they may think I'm insane. They may think I'm nuts. They may think I'm a fanatic. But you know what? It's true. I am a Jesus fan. Not a fan of football. Couldn't care less. Not a fan of basketball. Sorry, all you, those who worship the Nets. I really don't care about sports at all in any shape or form. Okay, rugby's okay. But I'm just saying, I'm just saying, if I am a fanatic for anything, it is for the person of Jesus Christ and that other people would catch that same fever, catch that same fanaticism. If people put half the time into their Christian walk that they put into their... Um, I don't even know what the things are called, the little betting pools and the little sports pools and, and okay, you, who's going to be where, where are your brackets? I couldn't do a bracket if I tried, and that's okay. I don't mind. If you put half the time into your faith that you put into your sports brackets, you'd be a, you'd be a genius, and that's true for most of us, true for most of us. Amen? So just don't forget, there's difficult times ahead. Difficult choices to make, difficult people to deal with. But through Jesus Christ, we can come out the other side, whole and intact with our families. Amen? Let's pray.